Good morning. Happy New Year from me. How are you? Hope everyone's doing well. It's great to see you all back. It's always exciting the beginning of the year, isn't it? And everyone's sort of ready to go with new things, new things happening. I don't know um, how you all saw the new in, New Year in. If you were kind of up, up for it and all that stuff. Um, they say they say the um, the optimist stays up to look in the new year, and the pessimist stays up to say goodbye to the last year. Um, I just went to bed, so I don't know where that leaves me. <laughs> Are we just a realist or a loser? I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know how, if you're feeling kind of hopeful this morning, what you're kind of hoping for um, for 2019, what you're looking forward to. Um, I know in the kind of wider world, there's quite a lot of things that sort of making people hopeless. You know, if you look at Brexit or knife crime or American politics or whatever it is, there's quite a lot to, to, to make you hopeless. But actually, we have reason to hope, don't we? We have a truth in Jesus that gives us reason to hope, to be hopeful. We live under someone who makes good promises and who is faithful and powerful to deliver on those promises. The American pastor, Bill Johnson, says this about hope, that as followers of Jesus, we owe people a life that is extreme in hope. And, you know, we do. We have these incredible promises over our lives. And we can be extreme in hope. And actually, it's a wonderful, energizing place to live in a place of hopefulness. And that's what I want to think about today. Isaiah 40 says this, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That sounds a really nice way to live, doesn't it? Soaring around and not getting faint and, and things. And it comes out of hoping in the Lord. So I want to think about this thing of hopefulness. And, and all this month, we're going to be um, pulling out a few characters from Genesis um, and um, thinking about uh, various aspects of living well. And today, I want to look at Abraham and think, what, what does he tell us about hope and uh, living in hopefulness? You know, um, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, uh, there's that chapter 11 where it has the kind of heroes of the faith and those people who really hoped and trusted in the Lord and how they've done there's about 20 or 30 of them in there. Abraham, he gets his whole own chapter. He gets all of Romans 4. Bang. He is the big guy when it comes to hope. If you want to know about hope, look at Abraham. Look at his life. And that's what we're going to do. We're actually going to start in Genesis. I'm going to read a, just jump around and read a few things to you. So uh, you may want to follow. You may, may, may not in your Bibles. But let me just launch in. From Genesis 12, this is where the sort of story of Abraham begins. And God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15 Abraham says to to the Lord, "Um, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And and, and he said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to Abraham. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord And he credited it to him as righteousness. 
And then Romans 4, what does is, what is Paul make of all this? Romans 4, 17. He is the father of us all, that's Abraham. As is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things into being that were not. <clears throat> Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his face, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. These words, it was credited to him, were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The, the, the first thing that struck me as I was looking at these stories of Abraham again and reading through Romans 4, thinking about him, was, was that Abraham faced the facts. He didn't kind of dodge the fact or make up some rose-tinted reality. He faced the facts and was like, I'm as good as dead. My wife is as good as dead. The chances of us producing a child look pretty thin. This ain't going to happen in the natural. He faced the facts. He wasn't scared of them. And living hopefully is not about avoiding the facts of life. It's not living totally disregarding the facts. It's looking at the facts straight in the eye and then looking through them with the promises of God. But we have an amazing God who's made these promises. And, I, and, and God had given amazing promises to Abraham. And I love um, the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases this, this, this part of Romans 4. He says this, When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. Deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey um, Sarah's infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. I love that. The start of 2019, let's plunge into the promises of God. Isn't that a wonderful image of what, of what we're called to do? And the facts of life around us may look difficult, they may look hard, but let's look them straight in the eye and then plunge into the promise of God and say, but this is what you say, God. And God makes wonderful promises over all our lives. 
They're simple, but they're profound. You know these promises. He loves you. He is with you always. He has forgiven you. He is your friend. Simple promises, and they trip off the tongue, and you can just hardly notice them. But they are so profoundly important. And if we plunge into them, if we look at every fact around us in our life through that promise that he loves me, he's with me, he's forgiven me, I'm his friend, it's totally transforming. We can live in a place of hope, in a place of extreme hope in 2019 if we do that. And we actually live in a place that's even better than Abraham because we can look to Jesus, the ultimate revelation of who God is and see that he died for us so we really are forgiven and he rose again for us so it really, he has the power to do anything. And we can look back on those facts. Abraham could only look forward and dimly see that this was who God was. We can look that straight in the eye so we can live in a place of hopefulness. But you know, hopefulness isn't, it's, it's, it's not necessarily an easy place to get to. We have to kind of fight for it almost in a way. And I want to show us a, a, a video clip now, and it's, it's, it's not a short one, it's five minutes long, all right? So settle back, you know, get relaxed and enter into it. But I, I want to show you this clip because it's, it's a little bit heavy, I have to admit, and start of 2019, it's a bit heavy, but I think it shows us what, 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 what fighting for hopefulness can look like. So let's, let's watch this together. My rock bottom, that was my decision to take my life. My name is Mark Meyer. I'm 51 years old. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I have been married to my wonderful wife, Amy, for 27 years. I have three children. I'm just really, really glad to be alive. I can trace my sense of not belonging, not feeling like I fit in, not understanding how to deal with difficult situations way, way back into grade school. And I just made the assumption that there was something wrong with me. As the stakes in life get higher, so as I was in high school, as I was in college, as I started to feel more pressure to perform, it became very hard. My wife and I married young, and in my marriage, it was a lot of not feeling like I was good enough, not feeling like um, I could provide adequately for her. So that exacerbated my sense of being inadequate and not fitting in. It led me to be so confused because I went to graduate school. I did very well in graduate school. I got promoted to be the administrator of a large inpatient clinic at our large hospital here in Minneapolis. But yet, I just felt so inadequate. When kids came along, that was ugly. That was really hard because I thought, I'm gonna ruin these kids. I'm not gonna be there for these kids. I'm not a good dad. And my fear that I was gonna ruin this thing made me wanna push that child away. The feelings that came along with that, sadness, lonely. Oh gosh, I felt so lonely. And, and my wife was right there. And when she would try to help me, I couldn't hear her. I couldn't accept her concern for me. The feeling I really felt the most was self-hatred. I started making bad choices. I drank too much. 
I wasn't engaged in my marriage. I wasn't engaged with my kids. It was a complete separation from the God that I believe in. I just couldn't go on any longer. So I made a decision that everybody would be better off without me. The day is a blur. It was, it was like a dream, an ugly nightmare. I didn't feel any relief. I felt scared. I felt numb. I felt angry. I cried. The only time I wasn't crying is when I was writing a note. I planned it. I waited for my opportunity. I set it up. And then my now 10th grader, who was about nine months old at the time, woke up crying. And the gun that I had loaded up with every intention of using to end my life got set down. My wife came home from work and found her rather intoxicated husband and a baby and a gun, and I was put in the hospital. The work just then started, and it's not done. 15, 16 years later, the work is not done. I wrestled with those thoughts for quite a while. They don't just magically go away because you've been in the hospital. There was no epiphany. There was no magic moment when, gosh, I woke up and, oh, look at me, everything is fine. But what I have learned is life is hard, but that's okay. I wanted to believe that life was supposed to be simple and that this journey was not supposed to be complicated and that somehow I was going to be unscathed through all of this. In accepting that life is hard, it's actually gotten easier. Before it was unexpected to me because I didn't want bad things to happen because if bad things happen, then the whole world's coming to an end. So I've learned to accept that challenging things happen. I have definitely learned that working every day to ensure my mental health, my mental wellness is important. I have a routine. I try to start my morning with conversation with my wife. I try to start my morning with a little bit of time with a journal. I certainly spend time in prayer throughout the course of the day. I've learned that when I go two weeks without exercising, I don't feel real good about myself, so I have to do that. I did some individual therapy for a while. I now, rather than carrying all of my emotions on the inside, I talk to people, I share my experiences, I give myself a little bit of room to be, I give myself quite a bit of room to not be perfect. My faith has been a critical component of my recovery. Probably more than anything is wrestling with this notion that I am forgiven and loved just because. And for a guy who spent the better part of his life and ended up on the wrong end of a gun because he was so terrible, so horrible, so imperfect, that's a heck of a thing to try to accept. But now I can say to God, I'm scared, I'm afraid. Before I came in here to sit down and do this, I prayed. God is with me no matter where I go, no matter what I need, no matter what time of day it is. And to have that, it, I don't know where I would be right now. I, I honestly don't know if I would still be alive if I had not found some faith in God. I, I love that story because there was a man, I don't know if you noticed, he, he looked reality straight in the eye. He came to that place of life is hard, it's difficult, it's challenging. Yet he then brought in his faith. He brought in and wrestled for those promises that I'm loved and I'm forgiven. And he brought hope into the center of that place. And that was the critical thing that, that changed him, changed his life. And notice too, he did put other things around him. 
He put in other structures, other ways to, to, to kind of bring the, that reality, that hopefulness together. And uh, we're going we're to be talking about connect groups later and just encouraging you guys to join one. You know, and, and one of the things he said was, was getting together with people. And actually goes on in the end of the clip to talk about finding his people and finding people to share life with, being critical to, to regaining that sense of hopefulness. And actually it is in these places that we find that hopefulness. We get supported in that. When we can't quite see the wood from the trees ourselves, get people around us to encourage us and to lift us up. So we face the facts, we face them head on, and we plunge into the promises of God and go through them. The other thing we do is we face the future. We allow ourselves to dream a little bit. These, these, the, the promises I've been talking about are the big kind of general ones for us all. They're, they're simple, they're profound, they're very important. But God also gives us specific promises into our lives like he gave into Abraham's life. That promise for Abraham was just for Abraham. That was his promise. And, and, and he didn't see it fully fulfilled in his life, but in the birth of Isaac, he's seen it beginning to be fulfilled, this amazing promise over his life. And in the same way, we have promises over our lives. And I wonder, what are you dreaming for this year? What are you hoping for? What, what promises do you think God may be speaking over your life? Maybe it's sort of going out on the street and praying for lots of people and seeing them get healed and come to faith. Maybe it's going on holiday. Maybe it's getting promoted at your work. I, I don't know what your, your dream is for this year. One thing I'd encourage you is don't separate your dreams into the kind of the spiritual ministry ones and the kind of secular, my job and other things ones. If you are a follower of Jesus, if he is your number one, they all come together. Every dream is important. Every dream God can use. You go on holiday because you need a rest because God's trying to do something in you. You get promoted at work because he's trying to you know, use you in that new space. Every dream uh, matters to him. And so some of our dreams are, 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 can be quite profound and some can be what I call a little bit puny but they all matter. And, and, and let me start with a kind of, this is from a few years ago, a little puny dream I had uh, a few years back, was I, 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 um, I really wanted to go to the Rugby World Cup. You know, it was on here at Twickenham, and, and I really, really wanted to go, but I kind of put it out of my mind because there was no way I'd be able to afford a ticket. This is, this is not going to happen. I'm never going to get there. Forget it. And I kind of slightly forgot about it. But then I was in a traffic jam in Molesey, and, um, and I was stuck behind the New Zealand team bus, and uh, it was on there, they were, I think they were, they were staying at the Lensbury, I think, and they were nearby, and they were sort of on their way back there from training. And um, I just felt really stirred. I'm going to pray for a ticket to the Rugby World Cup. I'm going to make this dream, this little dream, it's going to come true, and I'm going to go. And I just, just found myself really praying hard in my car that this would happen. And uh, lo and behold, about three days later, um, Rob Wadlow, who many of you know here, came up to me and said, w would you like a ticket to the England-Australia game? Maybe. Uh, and you know what? I mean, it's just a puny little dream, if you like. But it spoke to me of God's love, his care, his concern that he sees me and knows me. And I wonder if, if, if you know, sometimes when we just put it out there and believe him, what, what, what he sometimes does for us. But of course, we also have more profound dreams in our lives as well. You know, a, a profound dream, if you like, for me in my life is, is around Isaiah 61. That passage meant so much to me all of my life from, from quite a young age. And, and, and um, you know, that the spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to 
raise up hopes of righteousness, all these things. And bit by bit by bit over the years, I start to see parts of that being fulfilled and starting to happen in my life. And it, and it won't all be fulfilled in my lifetime because hopefully, you know, even after I die, maybe hopes of righteousness will be rising up who I've, I've been fortunate enough to have some influence with. So these dreams can be big and go beyond us. And I guess, you, you know, the question is, what, what, what dreams do you have for 2019? What promises do you think God is giving to you that he's wanting to, to stir up in you? You know, I take that profound dream and then I, I kind of, in a sense, pray it into 2019. Say, Lord, what do you want to do in the church this year? You know, I'm feeling really stirred around healing, a fresh kind of wave of healing, seeing a lot more people healed this year. I'm feeling stirred to see people baptized and come to the faith. And I, I want to put a number on that. I don't want it to be a vague thing. I'm sort of praying, God, give me a sense of how many. So we can, we can pray that in, making that happen. I feel stirred, like really seeing some lives transformed, some people changed in a deep way in this year ahead. So we can begin to kind of get it more specific and, 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 and pray it in. And, and you know, having these, these, these dreams, it's, it, it's what raises hopefulness. It's what, what makes life worth living because we see this glory that God can do. And I know many of you do this here. And, 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 and um, I'm going to embarrass Shakti now. But um, Shakti, a couple of years ago, had, had a sense, he was reading this book, weren't you? The, the Prayer of Jabez. And, and, and I had a sense of God stirring him up, calling him to pray for his business to double. Was it to double, wasn't it? The, 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 the turnover in his business in the year ahead. And, and that, was, that was a big, a big dream. And, and, and he put it out there. And he shared it with a number of us and said, will you pray into that? Will you, will you ask the Lord for that? And, um, and, and, so, and so we all did. We, we, we began to pray for that, for that dream, that promise he felt God was giving him into being in the year. And it went really badly, didn't it, for Shackley? There, there, was, there was, you know, <laughs> nothing was happening. In the not, not the, and it wasn't only until right near the end of the year that actually things turned around and some amazing contracts came through. And God, it did indeed um, double the business in that year. And um, I, I love what um, Shakti then kindly sent uh, this book to, to all of us who've been involved in supporting him in that and, and this letter. If I can read it, I, it won't embarrass you, Shakti. This is one quote. Um, it says, It made me realize that we serve a God of the impossible and that when we put the things of God first, then we can never out-ask or out-dream God. Hey? Amazing. Let's go for it. Another, some, so sometimes we have those dreams which, you know, they stir up and build up in us. Uh, other times, a dream can like go vroom from like the side, just come in with a, a prophetic word, something someone gives to us. An example of this in, in our kind of congregation was a guy called uh, John O'Mulver, who many remember, they, they moved uh, out to South Africa a couple of years ago. Um, but he, uh, we had a team from Bethel here giving out prophetic words, and they looked at John and, and said to John, you, you are going to influence govern, government policy, you're going to work with leaders in government, and, and, and you know, you're going to bring change to the educational system um, in, in South Africa through, through government. And at that time, he'd been, he'd been offered this post in South Africa you know, through his ARC foundation he was involved with, but it was more around running a specific school, being a head teacher in a specific school. But then 
this, this word came in and then things started to change out there and by the time he got out there, actually he wasn't going to be ahead of his school but was going to work for his foundation working with influencing government policies as one of the things. And amazingly, just a couple of, about six weeks ago, the Western Cape passed an educational bill and two out of the four measures in there were directly ones Jono had worked with the government in getting in there to make those changes happen. And he really was a key influencer in making this change to the educational uh, system in, in, in Western Cape. So what, 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 what dreams, what things may you be hoping for in 2019? They could come just out of a prophetic word and that birth something. It could be something that's stirring your heart and building and, and God is showing you. But, but what's it going to be? And Hebrews 6 says this. It says, we should imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. We should imitate these things. And he then, in Hebrews 6, gives that example of Abraham, of patient faith. So, we face the facts and plunge into the promises through them. We face the future and think about what are dreams, what promises, what, what is God saying to me in this season. And then the final thing I think we need to do is face the failures. And, um, you know, if we slip up, we mustn't give up. And if you've fallen, if you feel like you've kind of fallen off the wagon in this way of hope instead of given up on something, given up on a promise, then, then Abraham is still your friend. Because Abraham messed up a couple of times too. And, and, and I love it. When we read this Romans 4, we get no hint of it from Paul. This is sort of beautiful, kind of, he was fully persuaded and didn't give up, you know, and, and, and this wonderful image. But actually, when we read into Abraham a bit more, we know he went to Egypt and he tried to, like, pass off his wife as his sister so he didn't get killed. And then, obviously, um, uh, he then... He then uh, gave in to Sarah's sort of idea that, that he should go and sleep with Hagar, his, the, Sarah's maidservant, so maybe they could build a family through, through Hagar, and, and, and they had Ishmael. And so he, 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 did, he did mess up. Yet, Paul's able to write this, all this stuff about him in Romans 4. And what, what's going on there? You know, I, I, I think it's showing us that that actually, if we slip up, we just need to get back on the wagon and keep trusting and renew our trust in that promise that was given. And you know, the thing about Abraham is that although he slipped up, he never um, gave up completely on, on the promise. He didn't sort of throw it out. He got back on track and he pursued that promise. And there will always be temptations for us to take control ourselves, to do things outside of the way that God has shown us and the world to come up with other solutions and shortcuts and just say a little lie here or whatever it is. And we will slip up. We're, we're human and we will make mistakes. But the main thing is, let's get back on the wagon. Let's recommit our way. And we can be like an Abraham. And we can see promises fulfilled. I think also we see in here, it says in Romans 4, that he was strengthened in his faith. How do we know that Abraham was kind of strengthened in his faith? As, we, as he went through this journey of having this huge promise over his life, 
how is he kind of, how do we know he was strengthened in his faith? I think we see it in the way he reacts when he's, when he's got Isaac, Isaac's been born, Isaac's grown up a bit, and he's then told to go and sacrifice Isaac. And what does Abraham do? He gets up the next morning after being told that, and he goes off to sacrifice Isaac, and he prepares it all, and just as he's about to sacrifice him, as he knows, God intervenes and says no, and, 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 but he says, because you've obeyed me, I'm going to bless the world through you. And you can see Abraham has, has changed, hasn't he? He, he? He's changed and he's realized, I just need to do what God tells me to do. I just need to pray and to obey, to pray and to obey, to pray and to obey. That's what I need to do. And I can live in this place of hope and I can see promises fulfilled. I don't need to take control myself. I can trust the Lord. So as we go into 2019, let's, let's kind of face the facts of our situation full head on in the face and yet still plunge into those promises that he gives us that can give us hope, that can renew our hope and give us strength to get through the difficult facts. And then let's face the future together and dream together and think together and look what promises is God giving into my life to do this year. And let's face the failures. If we slip up, do not give up. Turn back to God and know that he can turn you in to that, that righteous person of faith that Abraham was. That you can see amazing promises fulfilled over your life. Romans 15 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.